I'm a little jealous this morning. In fact, that's probably even a lie too. I'm a lot jealous of one person in this room. Um, a few weeks ago, um, our small group met at Jim and Ellen Bowie's house. And this was the first time that I'd been to the Bowie's home. And when uh, we got there a little early with some of my kids and we were hanging out, and as we were hanging out, I got to see the Bowie's garage. And Jim Bowie's garage is cleaner than my house. I am so jealous of how Jim has organized and kept, it keeps his garage that I cannot stop thinking about how Jim's garage is so well put together. And this is kind of that time of year. I know it's not spring, but it's fall or it's winter slash spring. I'm not sure what the season is anymore, but, but this is kind of the time of year where you start getting things ready. And, and thinking about Jim's garage made me think about my garage because my garage is the exact opposite of Jim's garage. Mine looks like this. This is not an actual picture of my garage, okay? Uh, but it's a good representation of how I feel about my garage. Because uh, this is the time of year where uh, I want to get my car in the garage so I, I can in, at least not um, you know, die on a, on a cold winter morning trying to get ice off the car and things like that. And I wish, oh, how I wish I could have Jim Bowie's garage to get my car in. But this... Uh, this is more uh, representative of my garage. It's a little harder to get my car in there for this. And this got me thinking about a passage in First, Col uh, First Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, um, that, that I want us to pay attention to this morning, because um, thinking about our garages, or even now, uh, as well for me, is, is my closet, thinking about these spaces that just, they just have this tendency, Right? to just kind of compile stuff. A little here and a little there, more and more. Next thing you know, your, your space, your garage, your closet, whatever it may be, kind of looks like this. It's just there. And the function and the purpose of the place or the space is no longer able to be used the way it was meant to be used because we have compiled and we have slowly let things leak in. We're in this message series called Grow Down. We're spending several weeks in the letter of Colossians. And in this little letter that Paul writes to the church in Colossae, that he writes this letter with one driving force. And that driving force is to be people or a church that continues to live their lives in Him, in Jesus Christ. That Paul wants all of their attention, he wants all their focus, all their energy back onto what is the most important thing and person, Jesus Christ. And Paul looks at what's going on, say, in the church in the first century in Colossae. He'll look at, he can look at churches even today or people's lives today and say, wait a second, there's a little too much in your garage. It's a little messy. There's a little too much infiltrating or not allowing you to use the space the way it was meant to be used. And so I think what happens is, is Paul writes this letter to he has no uh, personal relationship to. He knows the church of reputation and through acquaintances, but he's never met the church. He's never been to Colossae. He's never been to a worship service, but he knows of them. And what he knows of them is also, is on one hand, positive, but also a little frightening to Paul. 
Because Paul knows the church is doing good things and has a good heart, but the church also has a really messy garage and things need to be cleaned out or you can't function the way you ought to function. You can't live the life that you were meant to in Jesus Christ when you have all these other things that are just piling on top of you. Now this message is a message that has been strung throughout Scripture. And in some of the earliest days of God's people, God gives them this clear message. In fact, Exodus chapter 20. God's people have left the land of Egypt, the land of slavery. God has delivered them from the powerful, ruthless dictatorship of Egypt. And now they are on their own, God's people, the Israelites. And one of the first things that God does with His people is He gives them what we call the Ten Commandments. God wants them to understand that life is lived differently in His kingdom. And the first commandment is this, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. That God's first, God's last, and God's throughout. In fact, all the rest of the nine commandments come out of this first commandment. That this is the foundation of everything God wants to say. Nothing else will make sense and nothing else will matter unless you get the first one right. Which is, God is first, God is last, and God is in between and throughout all things. And he needs his people to understand this. Now this is a message that continues through Israel's history. A message that God has to continuously, through prophets, through kings, through his own spirit, have to remind God's people that you shall have no other gods before me. Now as we kind of start turning our attention to Colossians chapter 1, we might think of it this way. It's Jesus first, Jesus last, and it's Jesus throughout. That God is looking for His people to have a singular focus that leads to a singular purpose, that leads to a, a group of people, a community of people that look to their God, their Lord, their Savior first, but also last, and everything in between. Which leads us to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. These verses are a hymn or a poem. Paul takes most likely what is a well-known song or poem of the day, and he inserts it, or part of it, into his letter to the church. Now, Jim read part of the more well-known hymn in this nature, Philippians chapter 2. Paul did the same thing to the church there. And here, Paul in these verses takes what is most likely not original to him, but takes what may be well-known to the region or to the people that worship God here in this church, and he inserts part of a song. Now, why would Paul do that? Why would Paul insert something that's not original to him, something that's not a part of him, but something that maybe others would know? Because it is on point. It is a message worth hearing. It is a message to be reminded of. Paul takes this song or this hymn or this poem and he brings it before the church because he's like, you've heard this. Now remember what you have heard, what you have declared, and remember what you have sung before. We don't just sing, we worship. 
We don't just say words, we mean them. We, we uh, bring them up out of nothing so that they have power and meaning in our very own lives. And Paul does that with these verses. This is a hymn that Paul puts at the front end of his letter that continues to and continues to be what Paul wants out of this entire letter to the church and ultimately to the region. Jesus first, Jesus last, Jesus throughout. Now here's the song or the hymn or the poem. Colossians chapter 1, picking up in verse 15. Here's what Paul reminds the church of. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things here on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Do you hear it? Jesus first, Jesus last, and Jesus throughout. This hymn fits into that singular focus, the reason to why this apostle would write to this church. Jesus first, Jesus last, Jesus throughout. This hymn is all about the supremacy, the position, the power, and the, the place of God, not only in the community life, but in the individual life. And in fact, you hear this language in this hymn, in this song, that it's Jesus Creator, Jesus Superior, Jesus Sustainer. That Jesus is God, the song says. He's Emmanuel, Matthew might say, because He is the Creator in all things. This Jesus was there to create them. He is the King, this Jesus. He is superior over anything on heaven and on earth. Whatever authorities may be propped up on this earth, He rules over them. And this Jesus is a provider. He sustains not only the, uh, the authority and the powers of this place, but He sustains those who are a part of the community that has that singular focus on Him. This is a letter, again, that draws us back to our attention. It's pulling all of our, our scattered brain and all our scattered thoughts and all the junk in the garage, and he says, wait a second, back here on Jesus. We see this throughout the letter. 
And I've shown this and I've said some of these before several weeks ago, but Colossians has language like chapter 2, verse 6, where Paul says, you have received Christ. A reminder that Jesus is in their life today. He reminds them in chapter 2, verse 20, that they don't have to submit to the world's rules any longer. Why? Because Jesus has changed everything. Chapter 3, verse 1. You've been raised with Christ, Paul says. So set your hearts on things above. A few verses later in chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. This idea that Paul brings to this, this, this hymn, this poem to the church is this idea that it is something that you can do, that you can hold on to, that you can focus in on, that can bring your attention, your realignment, your refocus right back on the singular focus that matters above all else. Jesus first, Jesus last, and Jesus throughout. Now, I get this great sense as I read the letter, these four chapters in a whole, that, that maybe Paul didn't necessarily intend, and, I, and I'm reading into this a little bit, albeit, but perhaps Paul didn't necessarily intend to put this hymn or poem in the letter, but as he begins to write this letter to the church, it comes out of him. It's on his mind. He hears it, he knows it, and the message is so on point, it's so singular in its focus that he can't help but put pen to the paper and write it. And why do I think that? Because the verses that come right before it, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we ended here last week, but Paul reminds the church very early on in his letter, for he, that's Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and He's brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That Jesus has entered the picture, He's entered the fray, He's in your life, and things are no longer the same. And Paul can't help it. He has to worship. He has to be in this moment. And he has this song, he has this poem on his mind and in his heart, and it has a singular focus that fits into this message. Jesus didn't just come to teach. He came to save you. Jesus didn't come just to have a great life so that we could have an example. He came to redeem every bit of who you are this very day. And out of that, Jesus first, Jesus last, Jesus throughout, this God is worth worshiping. And Paul writes these, he writes them down, he puts it pen to paper, because in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, which I think is the thesis of the whole letter, Paul wants him to understand this. Continue to live your lives in Him. And this song fits that. It is that reminder. It is the great action that can be taken to draw our minds and our hearts back on what matters most. Jesus Christ. I've told Jim that I'm, 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 I was told that night I was jealous of his garage. And, um, and I can only imagine, because I, I think about how I can get my garage that neat and nice. Uh, it's going to take a lot of work um, and a lot of effort and energy on my part. And sometimes we don't want to put the energy or the effort in, in Right? For spaces or places to be clean, we can also think of it this way in our spiritual lives. It's going to take effort. It's going to take energy. 
may have to pick up the broom. May have to throw out some things that maybe we are quite fond of or we think we're fond of. And I think one of the grand things that Paul does in this letter, and one of the other reasons I think Paul, as I kind of read the, whole, the letter as a whole, that Paul, maybe he didn't intend for this hymn to be in there, but he couldn't help it because it just came out of him. And it was on his lips, it was on his heart, it was in his mind, is that Paul understands that a good message that is singular on Jesus can change people. Because it reminds us of what Jesus has done that changed us. And it is a message that requires us to pick up the broom and to throw some things out, to put a little work in to clean the life. Because in our spiritual lives, and maybe more than ever in human history, we have the great potential of having a spiritual life that is cluttered beyond recognition. Jesus, yes, but I also like that book or that author or that speaker. I also like that podcast, that great book. I like these other things. Oh, you know what? That makes sense to me. And we start pulling in all these worldly acceptable ideas in our culture and our way, and we start piling in. Next thing you know, the reason the garage is there is no longer able to be used for what it was meant because we have compiled all these grand ideas, and Paul is saying it's time to clean it out. It's time to get rid of all the other nonsense. Paul is literally pushing up against a cultural idea that you could have multiple gods and bring it into the fray. That you can fill up your spiritual garage with other gods. This is the culture to which Paul writes in the first century to Colossae. The acceptable uh, way of living is to take this God and that God and this God and this God and put it all together. And the idea that the church seemingly is up against is that you can have Jesus, sure, Jesus, great, fine, have Him, but you need these other things as well. Fill up the garage. And Paul is saying, I think as he brings this, as, as he has this hymn and this poem in here, is that there are good things in this world, but if it is not Jesus-focused, Jesus-centered, Jesus-first, Jesus-last, and Jesus-throughout, you need to get rid of it. There is nothing greater than the message of Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater than the words of Him alone. And we can't supplement to our own comforts anything else than what Jesus has told us. And Paul reminds us of that. Because he is superior. He is the sustainer. He is the God that created us all. And so Paul worships. That's what he does. He worships in the middle of this letter. And worship roots us down. I think that's why Paul inserts this, has this here. Because Paul's giving the church then and now this very practical step. Worship will root you down into Christ. Worship's not just a posture, it is an attitude that we act upon. And when Jesus is that focus, and when Jesus is that central figure in our worship, we will act and we will move. So we take the posture of Jesus first. We ought to take the posture of Jesus last. 
And we must take the attitude of Jesus throughout everything else because we're rooting ourselves deep down into the truth that Jesus is the Creator. He is the Sustainer. He is the God that has brought us here. Which takes me to this final idea. That we've got to think more like a tree. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, Continue to live your lives in Him. Verse 7, rooted in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. That Paul gives this actually very practical spiritual step. That if you want to be one who lives a life more closely resembling Jesus Christ, you can't work yourself up. You actually have to work yourself down. Rooted in Him. And this idea of thinking like a tree is that a tree does not, does not grow up in any way, shape, or form until it has established a root system. Until it has put itself into the ground and the up will take care of itself. I want you to think about this. Trees can be an incredible spiritual model for us. Trees absorb odors and pollutant gases. Things like nitrogen oxides, ammonia, sulfur dioxide, and ozone. They filter these particles out of the air by trapping them in their leaves and in their bark. And studies have actually shown that in one year, an acre of mature trees absorb the same amount of CO2 that you and I would drive in our car in 26,000 miles. That there's this incredible model of how trees clean the air around us, the air that you and I need for life, that the trees actually filter out, they kind of take out the bad stuff when they are together in this. In one year as well, an acre of mature trees can provide enough oxygen for 18 human beings. They provide clean air. Do you know an apple tree can yield up to 15 to 20 bushels of fruit per year? They can be planted in the tiniest little spot. We enjoy the fruit, but so does the wildlife as well. They provide. And one way we can start thinking more like a tree in our spiritual lives is think like, well, like trees do. Trees clean, and trees provide. But you see, a tree can't clean air, and it can't provide fruit until it's rooted down. Until it works itself into the soil, until it inserts itself into the earth, until it brings itself down into the message of Jesus Christ, if we think about this in our spiritual lives. And worship does exactly this. It roots us down in Christ. It brings our thoughts and our hearts onto Jesus so that we will be clean and we can provide, so that we then can clean and provide just like a tree. So I end with Colossians chapter 1. I want to finish these, this passage up with verses 21 through 23. Paul says, remember you have been saved from the dominion of darkness. He goes through 15 through 20, these verses, and he inserts this song, this hymn, this poem that is on his heart and his lips and his mind, this idea that God is first, last, and throughout. And he reminds us 
of what it means to be someone who's rooted down, someone who's cleaning out the garage with these verses. Once, you were alienated. You were alienated from God. And you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the gospel that you have heard. And that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You're invited this morning to start cleaning out your garage. You're invited this morning to start living a spiritual life, to start embracing a rooted down spiritual life. And it starts with this song. You're invited to stand here in just a moment and to sing this song and to be in the worship to the God who has saved you from the dominion of darkness, the God who once saw us alienated and exposed and brought us in, cleaned us up, and provided redemption through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and let's sing.